0: You are now listening to The Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We get into the journey of their life, the ups, the downs, the doubts, the fears, how they get through it all, and how they have gotten to where they are today. Because I believe that our feelings of being enough, of being worthy, of being successful, fulfilled... Are not out there somewhere. Once I have this job, make this much money, meet the person of my dreams on and on and on, then I will feel enough worthy, successful, fulfilled. If you keep putting it outside of yourself, you will keep chasing it. It is up to you to claim it for yourself every single day, sometimes every moment of the day. <laughs> on today's episode, I am so excited to have Kate Northrop. She is an entrepreneur, a best-selling author, a speaker, and a mother. Her and her husband, Mike Watts, have built an amazing brand, and their mission is to support ambitious women to light up the world without burning themselves out in the process. So good, right? Her latest book is Do Less, a revolutionary approach to time and energy management. I love Kate and I love this conversation. Uh, A note, this episode was recorded like back in early April. (laughs) So you'll notice there could have been an opportunity, I guess, to talk about us having privilege, being white with privilege. How something comes up in the conversation, and we didn't talk to it, talk about it as far as racism, um which, yeah, we didn't because we were talking about something else. This is before the whole activism. but yeah, perhaps an opportunity to do that in the future when that sort of thing comes up. But yeah, just wanted to give you a heads up. A lot of these episodes were recorded early in the spring. All right, let's get to the episode so first of all. Do you recognize these are your books, your books? Oh, my God. Really? From when you moved out of New York City and you tweeted, if anybody wanted to come pick up your books.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. That is hilarious. (laughs) Wow.
0: That's so special. I even today was like, wait, is this real? Do I still have some of those books? And I opened one up and it says, to Kate. (laughs) Oh my God, that's amazing! So for those Aww. obviously nobody else can see, but I have the Artist's Way and wa- waking walking in this world, and I think I took a lot more than that books
1: back in. When was that? So it was in two thousand. It was yeah the very beginning two thousand eleven. Okay, it's so funny I don't, it's so funny because I have another copy of the Artist's Way, so I don't recall. <laughs> Getting rid of it
0: because I still we still have one, so then maybe that was maybe that was a copy I had had before because I don't I, possibly I rebought it, but this one for sure um was yours, but yeah, that one I do know for sure, yeah, Kate was leaving her New York City apartment i I just recently started following you on Twitter. I had just recently moved to New York City with basically nothing because I had always lived on tour. So I had no belongings and no books or anything. And I saw some tweet from like, if anybody wants any like personal development books come
1: to my apartment. I had so (laughs) many. I honestly, I'm probably due for another major. Like now I I used to live in a 450 square foot apartment. And now I live in like a real home in Maine. So we have a lot more space. As a result, we have a lot more books. (laughs) And it's the one thing that Mike and I just Can't stop buying. (laughs) You know, I just can't, I just can't. Every time I'm like, no, we're like, okay, we're not gonna buy any other books until we've read the ones we have. And then, you know, in two days later, like we both placed an order.
0: There's so many great books that are always coming out. I'm a I'm an avid library reader though. Oh, I love that. Well, what are you doing right now? What what am I reading right now? No, what are you doing right now? I mean, I'm sorry, just because
1: isn't the library closed?
0: Digital library. Oh. every library i think i still oh. use the la public library any book that comes on untamed to come out i went ahead and like yep put it on hold whatever and then sometimes sometimes i still will buy books but i mostly always buy and i can be like laying in bed i want a book before i fall asleep let me scroll the library borrow and then you just read it like on your ipad or something yeah and now I've become so used to that, that when I ha- when someone sends me the real book, I'm so used to like, I now you have to turn a light on now to read this before I
1: go to bed. <laughs> yeah, no, we have, we have little reading lamps like that we clip on because we're such weirdos that we turn off the Wi-Fi in our house at night and we turn off the breaker in our bedroom. Wow. So we just bought new bedside lamps and bedside tables. And Mike made a joke the other night as we were brushing our teeth in the dark by the light of reading lamps, like little battery powered ones, he was like, are you aware that we just spend all this money on these lamps, which we literally have never turned on. And we never will because we're, because we're like electromagnetic magnetic field people. So we do the battery powered reading lamps at night, but he does read on a Kindle, but I am a paper person all the way.
0: I thought, I thought I would always be. And then I just got attached. To that conveniency that's funny, okay. More uh, important anyway, things to sorry. talk about, but for <laughs> all the, anybody out there, hot tip <laughs> library on <your> here, <laughs> and and everyone should
1: be turning off the Wi Fi at night. I just want to say so
0: that's yeah. At first, I was going to ask you if that was a boundary thing, but it's not, it's for the electric,
1: Elec- it's because Wi Fi is incredibly disturbing to our bodies, and so when you're during the most important time of restoration is while you're sleeping. So if you can just turn it off during that time, that's really helpful because your body will heal and restore and regenerate much more powerfully if you are sleeping outside of Wi-Fi.
0: Interesting. Well, that's a tip I didn't think we would get. And there we
1: go. Hot tips right up front.
0: And that's something that is able, you can be able to do. If you're like, I can't live without Wi-Fi or whatever. Yeah, turn it off at night. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Turn it off at night. All right. So I would like to get into your abandoning your apartment to go on your freedom tour. But also before that, so yeah, like what was your first, do you remember even like why or what got you interested in personal development that you had all these books?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was raised in it. So like, I don't think I could have escaped. So I, you know, my my mom, Christian Northrup, has been in this world since the 80s. And um, really, I mean, for her, like since, you know, she was a teenager, she was into metaphysics and you know, learning about spells and angels. And actually, since before that, she told a story about the first time she read a book about angels, she was like eight. So, and my grandmother uh, discovered Abraham Hicks um, like way back when they were a subscription, those like audio cassettes, you know? Um, So I don't know. I mean, I don't think I ever discovered it. I just was born into it.
0: Wow. Well, I mean, I can make up the other people that are raised- with that sort of things could then want to rebel against it or be like 100% get
1: me away from anything (laughs) yes I mean I think that there has been a fair amount of eye rolling but at the end of the day like I just it it works better for me to believe that I have something to do with my reality
0: yeah totally and I mean do you remember that when growing up with your mother interested in these types of things and sharing them with you that you like what and that too, was that messages that you were getting young that I think that now, hopefully, like with the generation of kids we're raising, I, it's probably become much more normal to be yes, communicating these things with the, you know, but I make up, even if your mom was learning that stuff, that I, and other parents might have been that they might not have been actually still applying those same messages to their children. So was
1: she right. teaching you those things? She was yeah, I mean I remember, <laughs> I remember this one example. Oh my God, so many kooky things. But I remember this one example. I used to have this ongoing like knee pain, you know, just like in high school, it was related to a dance injury, and then I fell on the ice and that. But it would like flare during times of stress. And like to the point that <laughs> I wouldn't be able to walk like, oh, i'm so I'm really um psychosomatic. Like my dad wanted me to go to this other school and every time there was a tour booked, I would throw up. And <laughs> so just anyway, so I remember my mom was It's kind like, of a blessing though. Yeah. It's totally a blessing. <laughs> um, no, it's great. It's great because anytime I don't want to do something, my body, See, you didn't listen to me. Look at that. <laughs> my body makes it. Yeah. No, my body makes it so that I don't have to do it. Not really, not anytime. Um, but like, so yeah, I remember my mom just, being like, okay, honey, I want you to lay down and close your eyes and and repeat over and over. <laughs> it's so silly, but it's so good. <laughs> Physical body is calling, non-physical body is answering. Physical body is calling, non-physical body is answering. And she wanted me to just like repeat that several times until I got whatever whatever message came through that my knee wanted to give me. So that was basically like that pretty much sums up my childhood.
0: So when she said that kind of stuff though were you pretty much open to it or were you just like I'm just gonna do this to appease her yes because it it was
1: my whole life so like as opposed to having been raised to believe that you know our bodies are just these you know meat sacks that our minds walk around in or something right like there's all that God is a white man in the sky and he's trying to punish us or whatever belief systems people grow up with the system that I was born into was we are spiritual beings. Our bodies have wisdom. They're interacting with our emotions all the time. You know, when we have physical symptoms, it's because our souls are trying to tell us something. And so it wasn't really like, I don't know, it just was in the same way, like another family might believe in that when you die, you meet Jesus, which might also be true. I have no idea.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Did you have any realizations from like your friends, especially when you got older that like not everybody thinks this way. Yes. And I continue
1: to, (laughs) I mean now, right. So like I was raised by the weird mom and now I am the weird mom. Um, Like, you know, Mike and I live in this (laughs) neighborhood. That's very pleasant Phil. like we're just, everyone hangs out and there's like the cul-de-sacs and it's really picturesque and, you know, And we are totally the weirdos on the block. And so, yes, it it became obvious to me, I think, at quite a young age, probably. I remember when I was five, I went to a birthday party. My girlfriend, Samantha Craig, she's my first little friend or one of them. And uh, it was a McDonald's birthday party. And I came home and my mom asked what I had had to eat. And I said I had had a cheeseburger. And she lost her mind, completely lost her mind, which she has since repented for that particular <laughs> outburst but we were macrobiotic vegan um and my mom was like super super macrorexic so i think like moments like that where i was like oh i'm not like the other kids like we're different at my house and then just going to other people's houses and be like oh like you eat you know craft singles and like i eat tempeh <laughs> just that i mean that's just food but it was on so many levels
0: but what about like teenage years where I feel like there's, that's when like the real pressure, you know, feels like to, you're like, want to fit in, but stand out. But,
1: yeah,
0: you know, you're like, I feel like that's where like a big, I mean, seeking for validation starts real young, but like, I feel like it becomes more, more present in the teenage yeah. years. And so you just kind of notice where you're different. And if is that wrong, like, and it, 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 a lot of times feeling different can be made up to be wrong. Mm-hmm. So did you get confronted? Do you remember like, getting that and were you able because of being raised this way and with the emotions being like, okay, yeah, people think it's different, but this is
1: what I believe. I'm a really good chameleon. Um, So I'm pretty able to just like be in the group I'm in and like push the boundaries a little bit, but not make it so that I'm so confronting in how different I am, that I can't then be in relationship with those people. And I think there's a variety of reasons for that. (laughs) But mostly, it really serves me. I'm the queen of diplomacy. And so while internally, I knew I was different, and our belief systems were really different than other people. I also was like friends with everyone. And, you know, was also like even now, right? Like I can have some sort of like deep conversations about past lives and angels and, you know, whatever. And then like, I'm also happy to talk about what kind of casseroles are like working for you these days. I mean, I'll just like all of it, you know, I'm here.
0: Got it. Yeah. I think I've been similar in that way too, is where like, I always sort of like had my own idea of what this was or how I felt and believed, but I didn't always feel like I had to Fit into a box or make my voice known. It's just sort of like I show up as me and you're you and okay and sort of like yeah. compassion and non judgment. Exactly. Or it's like even if back then I didn't know that, but yeah, same thing. I was always friends with all these different people and I didn't have to feel like I can't like them because they do this and do that. But we get that message totally. Like I remember being like, "Am I allowed to talk to Beth? Because I'm in the smarter classes. So if I talk to her, does that mean I'm a nerd? Because she's a nerd. My friends call her a nerd. So does that mean I'm a nerd?" And like them being like, "Fuck it, I just want to talk to Beth."
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. None of it really matters. Yeah.
0: But I like to talk about that. I like to bring that stuff up though, because I think as humans, we're all still facing that all like, constantly. All the time. Am all I allowed to be time. this way or that way? If these people, Am I are? allowed to
1: be this way or that way? I think it's really like the whole thing. Like, how am I allowed to be?
0: Yeah. Okay. Cut to, <laughs> you're moving, you're living
1: in New York City. Yep.
0: <laughs> you got a home apartment full of books. Yep. you were leaving what was happening at your life in your life at that time that like yeah what brought you to new york and then what made you be like done giving everything up i i just remember i feel like it was the freedom tour you were giving everything up and you had a brand new prius wrapped and you were going to go drive around the country that is
1: exactly what happened so prior to that year i had basically so there were a few precipitating events. One is I signed up for a yoga teacher training with Colleen Sademan Yi and her husband, Rodney Yi Because really what I wanted was to find my husband, but I had this belief, not at the yoga teacher training, I'll tell you. <laughs> I mean, there were some men, but that wasn't, that's not like prime husband. I will marry a yoga teacher, so I will go to the yoga teacher training. <laughs> yeah, it's not like prime husband finding spot yet perhaps someday it will be. (laughs) Um, So I had this sort of belief that I knew was not serving me, which is that I could either be financially successful in my business, or I could have like amazing romantic partnership. But I had this double bind of like, I can't have all that I want. And I would act it out so that I would either date guys who were like, I would date guys who were financially a mess, and I would be like the successful one, or I would uh, totally let my business go, and like I just couldn't quite figure out how to be all of me at the same time and find partnership. And so Rodney and Colleen, I looked at them, and I I had spent some time with them um, because they were next door neighbors to my godmother, and I was like, God, they just have a really beautiful partnership where they both can shine totally in their careers, but also personally, like there's really good chemistry and they really support each other. So I was like, I would like to get rid of this belief that is telling me I cannot have that. So I'm going to do that by surrounding myself with examples that prove me wrong. And so I signed up for an eight month, 500 hour yoga teacher training with them, having no intention of teaching yoga, which I did for like, not, not a 200, going big. No, it was like, yeah, it was a big one. I know. Well, that's what they offered. So I just... Okay. And it. also I was single and like, didn't have kids. So what else was I doing? And what was your business at the time? My business was... Um, so I had a USANA business, which is a, a nutritional company. Um, so in network marketing, which I still sort of have that business. It's not anything we do actively. And then I was blogging and doing affiliate marketing. Um, I think, yeah, I hadn't really ever sold anything of my own yet. So I did that. And then I also took um, Josh Pice's Committed Impulse acting class at the same time. And both of these, both of these courses that I was taking really, oh, and then I was also doing coaching with the Handel Group in New York. And so all of these three things were all coming together and basically teaching me that like, I was a liar, like, like (laughs) that my whole, I, I was, I was doing this whole way of being, which was, which was pretending I was fine and pretending things were fine when they weren't fine and not, not telling people when they overstepped a boundary, not telling people when they weren't, things weren't okay. And just being the like, everything's okay, girl, because I thought that telling the truth would hurt people. And then all of my skin, (laughs) so gross and so weird, but during the middle of this, all of the skin on my face started to peel off. Like it was really bizarre. And, and I was excavating all this stuff. And part of the stuff that I was excavating was like this business relationship that I was in with my mom was keeping us both small. And I was not really telling the truth about myself, which is that like, I just wanted more and I wanted something else, and that I was like living this somewhat of a lie in New York. Was I was living in this apartment that my mom owned? Um, I wasn't. I, I felt like I was pretending to be more successful than I was, um, and I just wanted to really strip it back and like tell the truth and live how I actually was, as instead of trying to pretend that I was a different way. And that's so. That's why I sold all my stuff and left New York.
0: Got it. And was the the business that you were in with your mom, that was the nutritional? Yes. Like business? hmm Got it. And so, so so, you're living in New York in an apartment that she owns, which I'm guessing you don't, like, you probably tell people no, but not really. So it looks like Kate must be super successful. She can afford this amazing apartment in this
1: neighborhood or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, like people who knew me knew that, like, it was my mom's, but still, like, you know, in my public persona and on the block, like, it's just, it all felt like, and it felt very much like, New York, to me, felt like I was trying to keep up with something instead of just be. Yeah. Yeah. And also my uncle was asking me about what kind of guy I wanted to meet and marry. And I was describing that kind of guy. And he was like, Katie, I don't think that that kind of guy lives in New York City. (laughs) Like, "Mm, interesting. (laughs) So that was another element.
0: How long had you been in New York City by that point? Six years. Okay. Well, that's a good amount of time. I gave it a go. Yeah. And I
1: loved it. I loved it so much
0: when you moved there. Did you have any intentions or like even growing up of like, this is what I will be, or I'm going to New York to make this dream possible. Were you just like going to New York? It's a cool place. I'll find myself there.
1: I think, you know, my sister lived there. Um, My best friend from high school, two of my best friends from high school were moving there. My best friend from college was moving there. It was sort of just like many of the people I loved were there. And I I thought it would be a great adventure. Um, But I don't think I ever had any intention of staying.
0: But like, did you go to college? And like, did you have a like, this is what I'll be in life? Or were you just like, like many people of like, okay, you go to college, then you graduate, find a job. Yeah,
1: I went to college, I got a degree in art history, uh, because it required the fewest number of classes to complete. And I have a freakish memory for like memorization. So I was able to just like memorize all the paintings and the dates and the artists and then forget it the next day and ace the test. Um, I'm just, I wish that like, that's not what was paid for, but like for my education, it was, um, in some ways. And then I took some amazing classes that changed my life. And then I thought maybe I would be a museum create curator or like an art dealer, but then I really got bit by the entrepreneurship bug. And so I never really, I I had a job as an event planner for four months, but that's the only job I ever had.
0: All right. So, so then what happened when you give everything up and and also have you have Are you at that point, like, do you have any sort of, did you have mapped out where you're going to go? Yeah, you have a Prius, you're going to travel around. Was it just sort of like you finding yourself? What was
1: that? I think I was like really just like needing to. So when you asked me about sort of rebellion in high school and pushback against like my upbringing, I never really did the individuation that is normal for like, let's say a 15 to 17 year old. Until I was 27, and so I just was very delayed. And so at the time that I was leaving New York, I was also really individuating and like being like, I mean, it just took me a really long time to realize that my parents don't know everything. (laughs) And I think like most people figure that out in high school, and I just didn't figure that out until my late 20s.
0: Well, you also sound like you had, I mean. You had a different type of mom. Like, yeah, I learned I learned it very early on because my parents were happy and they fought all the time. And I was like, why am I supposed to listen to you people? You don't <laughs> enjoy your life. You don't even like oh, each other. I tell right, you I mean, don't get divorced. And you're like, you can't just do things because you want to. That Life doesn't work that way. I'm like, <laughs> it
1: actually can. Um, I mean, you're right. I think it's complex because, you know, I grew up with a mom who... I was constantly asked like, Oh my gosh, what's it like? It must be so amazing to have your mother as a mother. And like, what's that like? And Oh my God. You know? And so I think that there was this like extra putting her on a pedestal. Um, So it just took me a while. I mean, not that my mom's not amazing. She is, but like, she's my, you know, she's my mother. So I think it was just that like, Oh wow. Like I actually could. And so it was that whole experience was, you know, really around my Saturn return and just driving across the country. um, I had these different workshops that I was giving. They were called Women in Wealth. And they were lead generators for my network marketing business. And then over time, they became their whole own thing and ended up kicking off my career as it is today, which is like was super not intended.
0: Yeah. And so your first book, is it Money, a Love Mm -hmm. Love Story? Is that what it is? So did that end up coming from like going on the trip, leading the workshops and just like seeing sort of like, oh, what I'm putting out there, like these people like, were you like learning as you were teaching yes. sort of thing? Is that how it came totally. together? Yeah.
1: And then I, you know, and I, had, in the end, I did lead workshops for hundreds of women across around, across the country. And I was like, wow, like women are pretty screwed up about money. And like, so was I. And, and, and I got, I had gotten myself into quite a bit of debt living in New York City, trying to. Live some sort of expanded lifestyle, <laughs> you know, as I think is pretty common. And so, I needed to get really not only really truthful about who I was, but also really truthful about my finances, and you know, putting on my big girl panties when it came to being a grown up in terms of my money. And so, I unraveled that as I was teaching these workshops and really sitting in conversation with women about money mindset and money logistics and thinking about money in new ways and. And then I ended up being invited to teach that workshop, not the lead generation version, but like as a standalone thing at um, my friend Megan Watterson's reveal um, conference that she did at Urban Zen. And then my future editor, which I did not know she would be my future editor, but she happened to be in the workshop. And so then I got um, asked to do a book.
0: Oh, so that wasn't even your idea to do the book. Wow. And what was your for what were, I'm sure you had several thoughts like, Oh my God, a book deal. But then what you also, did you also have feelings of like me? Can I write a book you
1: about money? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was totally like, yeah, I mean, it was imposter syndrome on steroids. And then I also felt, you know, a huge, just guilt about like, you know, I, I, I knew it was coming easier to me because of who my mom is. So there was also that of like, I didn't earn this, therefore should I even do it? And so, you know, i spent like a decade working through that.
0: Is that because just because just because like your last name is Northrop, you assumed or you made up, oh, well, they're only they're counting on me because it has my mom's name
1: on it. Yeah, and like I was on these people's radar because of who my mom was. Right. Like, I knew that. Got it.
0: I'm like, hmm. I guess you do. And I'm like, I wouldn't have even thought that.
1: <laughs> I know. Well, so that's, what's so funny about these things, these <laughs> stories that we tell ourselves, right? Like I had a story going that like everyone in the world would be like, Oh, great. Like so easy for you. Little, you know, da-da-da-da. and like no one cares because no one really cares about any of us. We all are just so focused on ourselves.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh, I don't, I get it, but I don't get it.
1: It sounds like she went and heard you talk about money and thought that'd be a good book. <laughs> it's, it's both. And like, in the end, you know, um, my friend Sarah told me about, she's a huge, like, um, fan of Carl Jung. And she told me about um, that Carl Jung at the time was married to an incredibly wealthy woman, which allowed him to travel the world doing his research and basically like, change the face of the way we look at the human psyche. And he was able to make this huge imprint on the world because of this extra support he had. And so she was reminding me of like, we don't choose what privileges we, do, we come into the world with. However, we, we do choose how we use them. And so that's been an ongoing exploration for me, um, certainly about you know, my career, but also about race and class.
0: Yeah, I'm so, I am so glad you shared that. That is such a, a good way to look at it because yeah, it's like that freed him up to be able to do such important work instead of being, uh, the, being needing to like be the breadwinner in the family and work so hard. Right, like, and he didn't spend
1: his life feeling guilty, right? He just invested, he just was like, did his work. Yeah. I don't know if he spent his life feeling guilty, but
0: <laughs> I'm gonna believe he- that- <laughs> If any feelings of guilt shot, came up, he shot them down because he was like, I am doing an important work. Yes. Thank you, universe, for sending me this woman who can pay exactly. for our finances. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what he was believing. <laughs> Matricia, bringing you a brief interruption. I had to tell you about one of my favorite things that I own that is very much in alignment with Kate and her do less mission. It's an infrared sauna blanket. (laughs) It's basically like a sleeping bag that has infrared sauna rays. So I put on pants, long sleeve shirt, socks, turn mine to about seven, have water nearby. And then I turn on a show, a movie or a podcast and I lay in this thing and sweat out all the toxins and stress for about 45 minutes to 60 minutes. So, so good for my body and my mind, but also, you know, we are like, I don't know, okay, we, I'll talk for myself, chronic, like, multitasker. Let me just watch the show and like, oh, I'll return emails. Let me do this thing. Let me get on my phone. That while I'm often wanting to enjoy listening or watching to something, I distract myself with little tasks. While I'm in this infrared sauna blanket, I am forced to be present to what I'm watching or listening to. And it feels so freaking good. So also, yes, it's seven times more detoxifying than traditional heat. It increases good chemicals in your body and lowers cortisol. It soothes sore muscles and joints, reduces inflammation, increases blood flow and circulation. I have fibromyalgia. It really helps my joint pain when my stomach is feeling messed up. It helps that. It seriously makes me feel so good. Like I feel like a superhero when I'm done. Go check it out. There is a link in the show notes, just like, you know, look at wherever you're listening to and the link will be there. And then you can use my code JOY75 for $75 off. They also have an interest-free payment plan, which I did when I got it, makes it a little bit easier to hit the purchase button. And then you can use the interest-free payment plan plus still get the $75 off with Joy 75. Go check it out. I've owned mine for like a year and a half. Best decision I've ever made. Okay, one of the best decisions I've ever made. (laughs) Go get it. Take care of you and support yourself in doing less by relaxing and taking care of your body. All right, let's get back to the episode. Okay. So, and in Money, A Love Story, what is the, like, because I feel like that's a much different, nobody, most people, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not going to go pick up a financial book. Like as much as I'm like, sure, I need to work on money. Like I'm not somebody, but your book sounded more appealing. I think believe I, I think I actually did buy that book. We were talking about it earlier not buying it. Like, I'm like, I think I'm like looking because I'm like, <laughs> <it's> here. <laughs> but um, you changed the way that women, people, I think, think about that and relate to that. And so what was your, what, like, how did you do that? What was your intention for the book and for bringing
1: this conversation into the world? I think my intention for the book, which, you know, as I say this, I realize like, this is what I do, which is I take topics that feel complicated or hard. um, And I make them easier and more fun. Maybe not fun, because obviously not all topics can be fun. But like, uh, I make them more approachable. And so for me, what I found is having done a lot of learning in the personal uh, finance world and studying with people and reading books. And because I started reading books about personal finance when I was 16, because I was like so interested. I've always been really interested in money and how it worked and you know what to do with it and just you know, and so I but what I found is that a lot of that work was very shaming, and it felt really like, yeah, it just felt really shaming and having gotten myself into a financial pickle, it just felt like, well, I don't want to do this work because every time I do it, I feel bad about myself. and so I wanted to write a book and create a program and an approach that really was affirming and that helped women specifically, but all, you know, certainly men too, um, to feel really great about themselves as, as a way of healing their money story, as opposed to you know, the approach of like, if you beat yourself up enough, then maybe you'll change. But that really doesn't work. And so I just wanted to be a more a loving voice in the personal finance industry. And it turns out um, it works, which is so cool. <laughs> Yeah, no,
0: it's so true. And it's so great that you saw that and then spoke to that. Cause yeah, I mean, that's what happens. It's like, right, we can have something that we're struggling with, where a doubt comes up, a fear comes up. Oh, I didn't. And instead of like just trying to work on fixing it, not fix, not even fixing it, trying to believe something else, trying to think of a different possibility, trying to forgive ourselves, love ourselves, we beat ourselves up. It's like we're piling negative emotions on top of negative. I don't even really like to use the tang negative emotions anymore, but heavier weighted emotions. Like, yeah, we just like are feeling bad about what we already made ourselves feel. Bad. <laughs> just like yes. using love and compassion to, to heal yourself, to change how you're thinking about yourself and your possibility. And that's what you did with the money story. And I'm guessing that, yeah, like the reason it worked is because you went through it. It was like, you were the one that was like, I need this. I need someone to talk to me like this. This doesn't feel good. So it's like, I, I mean, for me, I feel like whenever I'm creating something that it's like, this is what I need to hear and how I need to hear it. <laughs> it ends up like really resonating.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's most of what I do.
0: Um. And so then where I love your newest book, Do Less. I love the mission. I love all of it. And as soon as you started talking or share about it, I was just like, yes, finally, (laughs) because I felt like it was a way I had lived my life for a long time. And I would always be like, come on, let's go. We need to start glamorizing rest. We need to, whatever. You don't have to do so much. Like it was the way I always lived my life, but I felt like, why does everybody else feel like they have to be like busy, 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 hustling, 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 (laughs) like all these things. And I think in, you know, going back to where you were talking about your body and having the like psychosomatic. Is that what you said? I feel like I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia when I was young and I had all sorts of physical problems. And that's what launched me on thinking a different way about my life. Cause I realized I couldn't do anything about the physical pain I was dealing with, but I could do something about the emotional pain that we cause ourselves every day that was not helping the physical body <laughs> and the physical pain. So I sorted through that. And so then that led me to prioritizing myself, saying no to like, you know, like creating boundaries, all these things that we now have words for (laughs) yeah, Yeah. and terminology. And um, yeah. And so like, I, I feel like in many ways that my chronic pain and fibromyalgia has been a blessing for how it's empowered me to move through my life so that I'm taking the best care of myself. So what was, how did, how did that start showing up for you? Was it going back to your psychosomatic stuff? Was it becoming mother and like this real, like, okay, I have to really
1: shift my priorities because I have less time. It was that. It was um, pregnancy, both pregnancies, but the first one, pregnancy and that first year of motherhood was just extremely difficult. And I had always been somebody who could just figure out how to get through something through pushing harder or using my strength or being smart or like I could always pull on something to ease my way. And when it came to motherhood, And pregnancy, I was just like, what? Like I couldn't do anything to make it better. And so I just felt so tremendously out of control. And it was, I just, it sucked. It really sucked. And I had a traumatic birth with Penelope. And then I had like a postpartum insomnia and postpartum anxiety. And I had mastitis and the nursing issues. And then she was sick and she had severe eczema and was like, Waking up screaming every ten minutes at night, making herself bloody, and and so it was just it was just like not what I had thought it was going to be, and I also thought because I wanted so badly to be a mother that I would think it was more fun, and that I, I would it would come more easily to me. I just assumed that since I wanted it, I would be good at it, and I when it happened, it, I did not feel good at it. I still have a lot of days when I'm like. Am I good at this? I don't know. Um, Because it turns out like I'm not... Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. So (laughs) anyway, we had... And we had that first year, we only had 10 hours of childcare a week, but we were still running our company. And so it was very difficult. I had no emotional or energetic or creative bandwidth whatsoever for the business. And so, but we sat down with our accountant a year after Penelope was born. And we realized that we had made the same amount of revenue as any previous year while working twice the amount. So we worked less than half the amount and made the same amount of revenue. And so then I was like, well, what have I been doing all this time if I could have made the same amount of money in less than half the amount? And could I recreate this in a time when I'm not under duress? And could other people recreate this because I am not that special? And so that's sort of where Do Less came from was, wow, we got amazing results out of necessity during a time of extreme contraction. Could we do that then on purpose instead of by, by accident? And um, it turns out, yes. And those tools have been really serving us during this uh, also time of no child care and needing to run our business and you know the support systems not being there and all of that. I mean I don't know when this is going to go live but Yeah.
0: Um, well, July but I'm like I'm like that's still not
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, totally. But, um,
0: so you have this meeting with the accountant and you recognize that and realize that stuff and so then your intention is can we intentionally like recreate this? Like how did we do this and whatever? Is that then cuz I I would notice then like, oh, you were starting to like follow the moon cycles, maybe. And like things like that, were those things you were already doing? Or did you start to research and find other ways to like incorporate what you yeah. wanted to see? Like, how can I be productive in less time? Or like, what was the what was driving you back then? Was it just how can I do less? But how does it do less by being? How does it how do you?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, it's whatever you want to say. It's (laughs) do less to achieve more, do less to have more, you know, do less to improve your results. Um, yeah, I mean, so then, so that was, so the accountant was in September and then in October of that year, I got my period back and I hadn't had my period really in like two and a half to three years because of losing it when I got really skinny for my wedding and then, and then being pregnant and then the nursing. So (laughs) it had been a long time. And I was one of those people who I was like, those periods are weird. They're kind of annoying. You know, it was never like a a source of tremendous discomfort or angst or anything, but I just like found it sort of like a nuisance. And then my period came back and I was, for the first time, I was really excited about it, which was weird. And so I just started to learn um, and I started to read and I started to, and, and, and I started to pay attention and, like, wow, there are these four phases. And I started to, I actually literally found the other day I was cleaning out my office. I found the journal where I started this journaling practice based on my cycle and the moon. So every day I wrote down the date, the day of my cycle, the phase of my cycle, and the phase that the moon was in. And I just wrote a little couple quick notes about how I was feeling, my energy levels, you know, my mental energy, whatever. And so I started this journaling practice and I just started to feel myself like sewn back together. And it was so needed at the time. And then I began to pay attention to like where I was in my cycle. And then what I was learning, I was sort of hormonally primed to do at the different phases. And I started to plan my week according to that, which I had learned about prior, but I just sort of thought was dumb or like for, you know, people who like have feathers in their hair (laughs) I'm very like, I'm very for as super woo as I am. I'm so practical. And like, if you want me to do a three hour moon ritual, it's not happening.
0: Yeah. I'm like a resistant hippie where it's like, fine, fine,
1: fine. I have these crystals, but I mean, I don't know. Are they <laughs> like, you're just, but like, what's the most efficient thing I could do with them? I'm like really always that person. So, but I really like, I needed something to hold on to. I just was. I just really needed something, and it turned out like it was me. It was my body, and it had this whole thing had been happening my whole life, and I just had never used it. And so it was so exciting to me. And then I read in uh, Dr. Luann Brizendine's book, *The Female Brain*, uh, in her "Mommy Brain" chapter, she talks about the, this study of monkeys, um, mama monkeys, and, and the mama monkeys who are fed are given consistent, abundant resources every day. And then one group that were given consistent, low resources of food and water every day. And then a third group that were given inconsistent. So some days a lot, some days not enough. And what they found is that interestingly enough, of course, the the mamas who had abundant food and water did great. Interestingly enough, the ones who had low food and water consistently did almost equally as well. But the ones who had the inconsistent resources lost their minds and could not mother properly. And I was like, oh my God, that's why I lost my mind. Because feeling so out of control affects the maternal brain in this really profound way that's just like, it's, it's very difficult to cope. And so I found that I was leaning into the consistency and predictability of my cycle as a source of consistency that I desperately needed. And ever since then, it's something I can just come back to anytime I feel out of control. And I just feel so held and safe and resourced. And um, it's been incredibly helpful for me.
0: Wow. Interesting. And yeah, I've just um, had Elisa Vidi on too. And it's just like mind-blowing what she... It's like, why the fuck do we not know this (laughs) stuff?
1: Like, thank you. Thank you for doing totally. This.
0: <laughs> Crazy. Um, okay, I'm like, we don't have as much time, so I'm trying to like jump around to last thing I want to touch on is I feel like the last time we were supposed to record this earlier and it was canceled because that was when Maine was doing You were inspired, empowered to speak up about informed consent.
1: About informed consent, yes, and and a law being passed in Maine.
0: Which, yeah, I believe in everything that you were sharing, but I, I'm bringing that up for the point of uh, that you sharing that from watching you, you were having like a breakthrough in again. Like, am I allowed to totally share this and be real and do this and say these things on this platform? Probably, I'm making up because I'm not you and I'm not in your head. Mm-hmm. This is. <laughs> No, that's pretty accurate. (laughs) But as a human. (laughs) Yeah. Those are thoughts I probably would have had. Yeah. So what was that experience like? And I'm like, did you have to fight with yourself about, do I share about this thing that I really believe passionately about people informing themselves about? And so I have this space. Why not use it? And then and then the feedback you got, because I make up you were
1: concerned you were going to lose a lot of people. I or maybe didn't. Say I was not concerned. I was going to lose a lot of people. I just thought I would. And I was willing to, because it felt important enough. So, yeah. So first of all, like I had, I had like made an internal vow, like, you know, some friends and family knew how I felt, but I was like, I'm never going to talk about that publicly. <laughs>
0: and then and why case, did you so, feel like I wasn't going to, you were going to, because talk about it? it's such, such a, a lot- contentious
1: issue. Yeah. And And I feel like, um, people on both sides are really not open to having, um, an actual conversation and learning. And it's very much like it gets into, um, fundamentalism, like this just is how it is. And, you know, and no, no opening there for,
0: yeah, it's hard. People are very much, I'm this point or this point, and I'm not going to hear anything you have to say if you're not on my point. Yeah. On both sides.
1: And I think that that's, you know, I think that's across the board on so many issues. But then it was, then it really was in my home state. And it was like, oh, this is going to affect my children if this happens. And this will affect my ability to send my children to school. And so I just spoke up because my mama bear came out and I was like, I, if, if I don't do something and then this happens and it doesn't go the way I want it to, I will feel like I was a weenie basically. (laughs) So I decided to step up and then at first I was like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And then like 24 hours later, I wanted to take it all back. And I just wanted to die. Like I felt like I was going to die. My nervous system was just like full haywire. I couldn't focus on anything. Like I just couldn't even have a conversation with Mike. I was just like floating somewhere above my body. And then I did just some practices to like get back in my body and signal safety in my body. And then what happened is like, I just was like, oh, who cares what people think? Um, and that was so cool because I don't think I had ever really reached that level of, I don't give a fuck. And so it was so great to, to find a new layer of that. And I'm sure over time, as I get older, I will find new and new layers of that. And surprisingly, you know, for all the people who wrote me nasty messages and were like, I'm unfollowing you. And I was like, that's fine. No need to announce it. <laughs> but for all of those people, there were so many more who were like, wow, either I followed you for a long time and now I am like a lifer or I never knew who you were before, but now but i like, I'm in And then I was in the middle of a launch at the same time while I was like running this activism campaign on my social media, which is like not a good idea strategically, but I just couldn't help myself. And I had people writing in to be like, I just joined your program because if you believe in something strongly enough to use your voice at a time that it could sabotage your launch, I'm in for whatever you're doing. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So there were so many positives that I could have never imagined. And that's not why I did it at all. but you know, my, my platform grew significantly as a result.
0: Yeah. And for those of you, by the way, is it still saved in your highlights, that stuff? It is. Yeah. I have two highlights,
1: body autonomy, one and two.
0: Which by the way, I mean, she's not like saying like, the information that she's sharing is great information, no matter what you believe. If you believe very much in vaccinations or not so she was not sharing very much like nobody ever do this must do that so no
1: i'm you know i had vaccines like i'm you know i'm i'm pretty middle of the road
0: but just saying but um but yeah i could see what was happening and i was like super like inspired by you and proud of you even though i don't know you and i feel like and i don't know if i'm making this up but from my perspective since then I feel like I've seen a much bolder version of Kate Northrup than I ever had before. And your voice just seems so much more confident. It's just like, I, yeah, like I feel like having that experience, you going through that experience, it just, I can tell through, through my screen (laughs)
1: in my hand <laughs> but we can right it is an energetic yeah. like exchange
0: I, I feel like you you like shed 30 layers or something and then it's just like there she is like that's a true human and you know like it just really feels like and it's it, not that I didn't think that before that like oh she's not real before it just it feels like I could feel this energetic shift in you and now who you show show up on the screen <laughs>
1: but it's especially these I days. know. Like, <laughs> I know. They are. It's like what we have. We see everybody in a screen these days. <laughs> I know. Well, I do really feel like, you know, it, it felt similar to going through my first birth, you know, my first labor and birth, which felt like, you know, it felt like I was going to die. And then I came out on it the other side and I was like, oh, I can do anything. And so I think that though this was totally different, it felt really similar in that, like, I thought I was going to die and then I didn't. So then I was like, oh, I could do anything. <laughs> and So I, you know, I think that's kind of what happened.
0: Yeah. And I had totally different experience, but something that happened in my personal life recently, where I was like, you know, I had a conversation that you hold up like bubbles and bubbles and bubbles and bubbles. And I finally had this conversation where I was basically like burning my whole life down. And I thought everything was going to change after this conversation. I was prepared for all these other steps that were going to take. And I had created a new life for myself that was going to happen. And now I'm like, did that even like the changes that happened in that terrible conversation and a couple more that followed terrible because it feels so terrible to like say those things. It was like, oh, and now everything's magically better. And it's sort of like funny, like I was going to give up like all of these things in my life and change my entire life but because I was willing to burn everything down to share this thing that I believed in to stand up for myself in a way to voice this thing that really means a lot to me, but I'd been afraid of saying, because what will they think? What will this mean? What will this, what will happen next? Then it's like, is that easy? Wait, everything's like, wait. And so, you know, I think like, that's like,
1: I feel like our whole conversation here is about telling the truth. And sometimes you tell the truth, ready for everything to be burned down, and it doesn't. And sometimes it does. And I think that the the whole point is that the truth is like, it's like our main currency. It's all we have. And like you were saying, it's magnetic. Like, from a business perspective, right? Or just from a life perspective. Um, Josh Pice, who I took that class, inter uh, blah, 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 committed impulse with, he taught us about that. A pet, an animal or a child will always upstage everyone because they're always telling the truth and we cannot keep our eyes off them. And you know, like if you've been to a live show where a kid or an animal is on stage, you you do not care what any of the adults are doing because that kid and that animal are telling the truth. And so he teaches actors and entrepreneurs really how to source their work from that place of, of actually telling the truth with their bodies, with their voices, even if they're saying lines. And that was a huge awakening for me to just be like, "Oh, it's it's okay to say the truth, even if it's uncomfortable."
0: I love that, and that's true. I was thinking of like, "Yeah, I'm so often drawn to people that I can tell are always telling the truth, even if I don't believe in what they're saying." But you're just like, "Yep, well, that's that person," and they express themselves, and it <laughs> like that's cool. I know who I'm getting. Like,
1: <laughs> like yeah, it's refreshing, also because you know. You know who you're getting. That's exactly it. Like then it saves so much time and energy because you don't have to be like doing the dance of what are they actually thinking. They just tell you and then it's easy.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, quickly, I have everybody, I'm going to pull up an image of all of my keychain phrases from my product line. And so I ask everybody to pick, not necessarily which phrase they like the most, but which one they want as a reminder in their life the most right now because I will be sending you the keychain you choose. So what keychain do you want to see every day?
1: <laughs> These are great. How great is this? Um, by the way, I drink from your stemless wine glasses. I drink kombucha every day from them.
0: So, Oh, yay. I remember somebody gifting those to you years ago and I was so excited. Yes.
1: Jamie Jensen, who we were a copy writing client of way back when she doesn't even do that anymore, gifted them. And I love them so much. Okay. Um, Mine would be, I am enough.
0: Mm, And why do you feel you need that reminder? Um, I feel
1: like my whole, my work that I do is really about um, affirming that like we, our productivity does not determine our worth. And I was also raised in this culture that, you know, has us believing that the more we do, the better we are. Um, so I just need to be reminded of that sometimes that I'm already enough and I don't have to prove it by the number of projects that I am doing.
0: Yeah, as much, it's funny because it's like you think like as much work as we do on ourselves and all of that and that we teach, that's this, yeah, I need it every day I find myself in a not enough struggle. And I'm like, fuck, Trisha, this is you telling you're not self and you're not enough again. <laughs> um, what is a go-to that you do to raise your
1: joy levels? Mm, um, going outside, getting out in the sunshine if I can, um, lying on the ground or standing on the ground barefoot, laughing with my kids, um, or dancing. Those are all go-tos.
0: Yes, love them. Okay, ask everybody to apply this phrase to their own life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. Every time I read it out loud, I'm like, duh. But yet we so often find ourselves, and maybe it's a habit or a way that you've just, you know, are inclined to do things. So what is easiest for me is to do blank. What is best for me is to.
1: I think what is easiest for me is to pursue a lot of things at the same time. What is best for me is to just pursue a few.
0: (laughs) All right. And the final question is the name of the podcast is claim it. Because I like to drive home the message that our feelings of being enough, being worthy, being valuable, successful, fulfilled, lovable, whatever it is, aren't out there somewhere. Once I do this, have this, be this, then I'll feel it. So that's a fleeting thing. And so it's something we have to claim for ourselves every single day, sometimes every moment of the day. (laughs) What are you claiming for yourself
1: right now? I think I am claiming for myself right now that it's, it's, you know, it's a shade of gray of I am enough, but it's that I've made it. That like, yeah, there's not the next peak to climb. There's not the next horizon. Like it's good, you know?
0: That's a big one. Yeah. That's a big one to claim and remind yourself (laughs) when those little pushy internal bugs start to tug at you and external ones. Yeah. Yay. Thank you so, so much, Kate. I love you. And so, yeah, I just had to share that I have books from you.
1: That was so fun. <laughs> I love that. That was really great. <laughs> thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye. All
0: right. I could talk to Kate forever and ever. I just love her and the way she thinks about things so much. Go check her out, katenorthrup.com. She's at Kate Northrup on social media. She's got the two books out, Money, A Love Story, Do Less. She runs an amazing company with her husband, The Origin Collective. They have a podcast. She's out there doing a lot and always sharing important messages. Uh, For full show notes, go to yourdualogist.com slash podcast. You'll find all the episodes there for all things me yourdiologist.com and at yourdiologist on social media. I love, 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 love hearing from you what episodes you're listening to, what you're getting from them. So please share the episodes, tag me, feel free to send me DMs. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe. And if you could, leave a review for the podcast. It actually really helps the podcast to become more discoverable. And if you do leave a review, screenshot it. You can screenshot it before you hit the like enter button because it takes a day or two to upload and send it to me at podcast at com, and I'll send you a free gift for my product line. Yeah, because that's how much I really Need reviews. <laughs> Not need, want them. They make a difference. It helps, you know. Um, yeah, so please leave a review, send me a screenshot. I'll send you a little gift. You know, you can shop the full product line at shop.yourdualgist.com. Get the daily inspiration app in Apple Store and the Google Play Store called Own Your Awesome. And I'm just really happy that you choose to spend some time listening to me and these amazing people that I get to talk to final thought of the day, since it was Kate and her mission about doing less, right now, think about where you could do less right now in your life. Where could you allow more space for yourself? What can you start saying no to? Or just even visualizing, what would my life look like? How would I feel if I committed to doing less? (gasps) we're so taught to do, 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 be busy, be busy, 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 go, go, go. What about trying? Doing less, being more fulfilled with who you are, showing up in the now. You know, I like, I got big dreams. I got big goals. I'm out going after big things. And I've done that a lot in my life, but I also prioritize me, prioritize laying in bed with a novel taking off downtime. The downtime matters. And also, what's the point of like going, 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 going for these big goals and dreams, but not actually fully enjoying your life and living your life while that's happening? Because you just never know, guys. You never know what's going to happen. You know, my father passed away suddenly, freak accident. And that was what started me this work that I do. So I am always reminding myself you really never freaking know. You could die tomorrow. You could get hit by a car and be paralyzed tomorrow. So many things could happen today, tomorrow. So live your dreams. Go after what you want. But please enjoy your freaking life. Make space for yourself. And that often can look like doing less. All right. Keep on listening to some awesome episodes, or I hope to catch you next week. Come find me at your Joyologist.